You're listening to Homecoming Podcast with your hosts, Shay Pounds and Isis Rose. The purpose of this podcast is to feature black home birth stories and to broadcast how we birth in love. Building community through conversation, we discuss black birthers and black birth workers who support out-of-hospital birth, the midwifery model of care, and birth as a revolutionary praxis. Thank you for joining us this week, and welcome home. This is a very special episode of Homecoming because Shay Pounds, our very own co-host, will be sharing her birth story with us. Her story is a beautiful example of how one can still have an empowered birth, even in the event of a hospital transfer, which was Shay's experience. Here it is. Today we are getting Shay's birth story. I've heard it before, and I'm sure I will be just as inspired and blown away as the first time I heard it, but we've never heard it on Homecoming Podcast. So this is a very special occasion and I look forward to hearing what Shay has to say. Shay, would you start us off with whatever you want to start with in terms of pregnancy? Yeah, take it away. Hi, everybody. So, Mezzi, which is the baby in question, is our first baby together. And I have a um, a bonus baby named Kari. Um, Mezzi was actually a planned pregnancy. Um, but still very much so a surprise. So that was that's always very interesting. And I remember me and Kari, I had been sick for like a few weeks now. And I was like, yes, I think this is it. So I remember like Kari waking him up like one morning and we walked to our favorite donut shop. It's like right up the street from our house. May it rest in peace. It burned down. And we went there. We got donuts. And Walgreens is right next door. So as we sat there and ate the donut, mine did not sit well on my stomach. So I was like, okay, I definitely need to go get the pregnancy test. So I went and got the pregnancy test. And like me and Kari walked back home. And I remember getting there and, you know, doing the whole thing with the pregnancy test. And like waiting all anxiously like they do in the movies. And then it came back positive. And I was like, oh my God. And I like freaked out. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually pregnant. Like, it's a baby, it's a baby. And I was like so excited. And I remember um, like me and my friends are a group chat. You know, everybody got a group chat. So we were in the group chat and I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. And like everybody freaked out. And it was like this whole celebration and like it was great. And then Mensa came home and I remember like telling him like, I need you to step into my office. And he was like, oh, what did I do now? So he comes in and I'm, I pull out the pregnancy test and I give it to him and he's like, Positive. And then he starts doing this dance to Eye of the Tiger. Like, Eye of the Tiger. He's like doing this whole dance. <laughs> so that's that's kind of like how I found out that I was pregnant and um, like everybody's reaction. But it was all like positive and everybody was so happy and it was great. And um, it was it was fabulous and I was so excited. And that was the creation of Mezzi, I guess, in a way. Wow, I'm still stuck on the donut shop burning down. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's that's great though. And it's always really funny, I think, when you actually intend to get pregnant, but it's still a surprise. Yep. Like I think that's that's I don't think like the the way it just jacks up your mind, I don't think it anyone really prepares you for that. Yep. Um so tell us about your 
so you, you did plan to have a home birth. Tell us about your decision to have a home birth and how you went about finding a midwife. So I'm a birth worker and, um, you know, I mean, that's what I do professionally. So like, I know just like in my head, there's a lot that goes on in the hospital and I just didn't want that to happen to me. So, and I feel like home birth is natural and safe and you have the right to be born in your home and die in your home if that's what you choose to do. So, um, I just wanted to take back my power and have my baby at home. So Menzel was like all on board. He doesn't really care about anything when it comes to that because it's your body, it's your decision. So um, we prepared and I actually have a friend who's um, a midwife. So I, I sought her out like, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. And she's like, great. And I said, I don't know what to do now. And she's like, what do you mean? You're a doula. And I, and I was like, right, but I've never been a pregnant doula. And she's like, well, you call me, you get some advice, and this is what happens. So I remember waiting maybe maybe 11 or 12 weeks. I wasn't in, in a rush at all to go. Um, I actually did go to a midwife at the hospital, and um, they did the ultrasound. I, I did get one ultrasound done. I know I had two of them, actually. And it was a dating ultrasound, and I heard the heartbeat for the first time. And I picked a um, a midwife at the hospital. Well, I had already actually been seeing her for, like, traditional OB care. So, like, how you would get your pap smears and all of that. Mm-hmm. I um, So, I had already uh, had a relationship with her. So, I just kept going back, which was kind of my intention anyway when I sought her out, like, for my just regular you know, women's wellness exams, I guess is what you would call it. But, um, yeah, she was, she was great. She actually did a really good job. Um, so that's kind of like how I went about picking a provider. And like, so I, I guess I, I didn't pick her after I got pregnant. I picked her before. And then my friend who's a midwife, like that just happened organically. Like I, who else would I call? You know, it's like, you're the midwife and this is what you do. So it's nobody else to call but you. So what it, what inspired your decision to have two midwives? Um, I think it was important for me at the time to have two midwives because one, I was a first time mom. So I was very nervous and like anxious about everything. And I know that my home birth midwife just didn't do certain things. Like she didn't test urine and she didn't um, test blood. But I knew at the hospital I could get that kind of stuff done if I wanted it done. And also, my home birth midwife actually encouraged me to get what would be called parallel care. Um, so in the event that I we needed a transfer or I changed my mind about having a home birth or, you know, in the event that something was to arise, then I would have a relationship with somebody at the hospital and it wasn't like, oh, we don't know who you are and you're just showing up in our emergency room. So that was... um that was also a, a deciding factor in getting the parallel care. And my home birth midwife also doesn't do things like ultrasounds. And, excuse me, Mensa was very anxious about knowing the gender of the baby. So that was also something that we could do at the hospital. I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Um, and it's it's interesting that you call it parallel care because I've now heard parallel care dual care and concurrent care. Okay. Um, and so I think it's important that uh, our listeners understand that you can have as many doctors or midwives as you want. 
And if you decide to have a home birth, you can certainly be seen at the hospital. Um, and depending, depending on which state you're in, you know, that might get kind of hairy, but we don't talk about that right now because it's about you. Um, so once you establish your care with your midwives and, you know, you, um, I guess entered your second trimester, uh, what kinds of things did you do to prepare for your home birth? Um, oh my goodness. I feel like I did so much, but I didn't do anything at all. So like, I remember finding out the things that I needed for our home birth and we started buying, um, towels and sheets and like, I mean, all the things that, you know, the internet says that you need for a home birth. So we started buying all of that. Um, I made Mensa read all the books and I read all the books, not the what, what to expect when you're expecting, not that one. Like I read, um, actual books about home birth. I listened to any birth podcast. Um, about how to have a home birth. And I think the Indie Birth Podcast actually really transformed like what I actually thought about home birth, what actually happens, what was going to happen. And I think that was like the deciding factor for me, like, okay, I actually can do this. So that was one of the resources that I stuck with and that I used very frequently um, before I had my baby. I also, and people think this is funny, but I recommend it, okay? So if you're listening and you are pregnant, you should do this all the time, okay? I went into fake labor about four times before I actually had my baby to make sure Mensa was prepared <laughs> for what's supposed to happen. <laughs> Even though I am a doula, Mensa insisted that we did not hire a doula because he was going to be the doula. Okay, so I taught Mensa all of these different type of labor techniques, like what to do when this happens, what what the mucus plug is, what to look for, like all the right things to say. But I needed him to be ready. Okay, so I went into labor and I'm like, oh, I think this is it. And he would be like, oh, again, we're doing this again. And I'll be like, yes, get over here. You need to be present in this moment. So that happened. And. I'm not going to say it helped, but it did not help either. So <laughs> that's the funniest thing I think I've ever heard. I've never heard anyone say that they went into fake labor like it was a fire drill. Or yes, something. that's exactly what it, it wasn't a fire drill. Isis. it was a birth drill. Wow. Are you prepared for what's about to happen? OK, I needed him to be prepared. I needed my son to be I needed everybody to be prepared for what's about to happen. OK, oh, my gosh. <laughs> And it was like at different times and I would just randomly pick a time. And I'm like, hmm, I haven't went into labor in a while. I think it's going to be today. And that's like, that's how I would decide. So I would like wait and I would like call him. He would be away from the house like, oh, I think something's happening. You should rush home. Yeah. But like now I'm thinking about the boy who cried wolf. And what if you actually went into labor and he was like, oh, no, nah, you just playing again. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> I never, I never thought about, I never thought that far ahead. Oh my I feel gosh. like he was, he would have still rushed home because it could have been happening. That could have been the actual time. He wasn't going to miss it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got to remember that for next time though. That, that does actually seem like it could be useful. So in the first episode, we were talking about home birth and what it means to us. And we both kind of introduced the idea that Family isn't always supportive of home birth. So could you talk about 
what your friends and family thought about your decision to have a home birth? So my um, friends, who I call my family, they actually were very supportive. Um, a few of them actually like wanted to be here, but we decided that we weren't going to have anybody here while we had our baby. But it was actually a whole shit show when I told my family, um, to be quite frank. It it did not go over like I thought because I thought everybody would be like, oh my God, that's so cool. You're going to have your baby at home. But in actuality, it was like, what? You can have your baby at home. You're not going to have no medicine. Like, what do you mean? What if something happens? Like, you could die. And I'm like, you could actually die in the hospital too. But that's neither here nor there, you know. Um, and I think it was a lot of fear mongering that I got. And it was just people being afraid, you know. And even after me, like, explaining a million times that home birth is safe and, like, literally 60 years ago, you were born at home. Like, my grandmama was born at home. You know, even then, people still didn't, it didn't register with people. And people thought I wasn't going to go through with it, you know. And I got all the time, oh, you're going to change your mind as soon as you go into labor. You're going to change your mind, you know. And I was always like, okay, girl, all right, however you feel about that, that's fine. But I wanted to use it as like a learning moment, like an educational tool. Like this is, you know, this is what we are born to do. But I guess people just didn't see it that way. And it was just kind of like. I don't know, I guess fear, you know, of having your baby at home. And that was it. And actually, um, it was just, I don't know. And I feel like my mom was the one person that I wanted there. And she, I feel like at first was really scared too. I feel like through the whole process, she was really scared. But I actually had to tell my mom, like, look, if you're going to be scared, you can't come, you know, like. We're going to have to get through this thing. And at some point, my mama just accepted, like, this is my weird daughter who does the weird things. And this is just one of her things. Just let her have her moment. And then she became, like, the champion. Like, my baby said she's going to birth her baby at home. She's going to birth her baby at home. Okay, don't be in her face. Like, you know, <laughs> she became that person. And, you know, at times, I kind of needed that. You know, like, I'm sick of arguing with people about having my baby at home. We just going to have a baby at home and not tell nobody, you know, so... I, and I didn't want it to be that. I wanted it to be like, oh, my God. I guess in my head I imagined this whimsical, like, romantical thing about how everybody's going to be so excited and come to the house when the baby's born. And it didn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it is good that your mom, at the end, after a long, you know, back and forth, did become your champion because, you know, sometimes you are the weirdo in the family. You just have to ex accept that. But it helps when you have an advocate. <laughs> yes. Who happens to also be, you know, a family member. Yeah, I think, I think because home birth is still very like stigmatized and within the black communities is still very rare. It's not surprising that you had that reaction. You know, you experienced that kind of mm -hmm. fear and, and negative reaction from your family. I will say for next time, like the reaction I got is definitely when I do get pregnant again, I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm pregnant because I don't want the questions like, are you going to have your baby at home? Because the answer is yes, my baby's going to be born at home, but I don't want like the backlash the first time. So I think that's kind of like the lesson I've learned from like the first time of the whole thing. So I guess, I don't know, it's kind of a double-edged sword with 
that whole thing. So it's definitely going to be like, oh, surprise, I'm actually eight months pregnant and the baby's due any day now. Sorry, you missed the whole thing. Mm. Come to the baby shower next week. Right. So to tell or not to tell, that is the question. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I know you've had a lot of like... uh, Pregnancy, or I'm sorry, birth or or labor. What am I trying to say? You had a lot of birth drills, mm-hmm. right? Because you wanted to get Mensa prepared. Lead us up to the moment you actually realized you were in real labor, and then um, kind of segue that into your birth story. Um, it was my friend's birthday, and we went bowling. I think it was a Saturday night. I mean, a Sunday night. And we went bowling and I was all of nine months pregnant. Okay. But I was determined to bowl. I didn't think it was detrimental because people run like whole marathons while they're pregnant. Shout out to Serena Williams who played the whole game, you know? So here I am bowling. I got the ball. Mensa didn't let me get one that was too heavy. So it was like three pounds. So, but the next day, like I started having contractions like crazy. And then it was this whole thing for like, Two weeks, I started having contractions on and off and on and off. So I didn't do anything for a while. And I was like, my baby's just not coming. And then we were still like getting stuff for our home birth. So we were in Target, my favorite place in the world. And we were in Target. And I'm like, ooh, Miss, I'm having contractions. And he's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And I guess he thought that was one of those times like, oh, God, here she goes again. But I was actually having like real contractions. And I'm like, no, Miss, this is like serious. And he like, well, let me time them just to be sure. So he's like timing the contractions and they were like eight or nine minutes apart. And he's like, okay. And then I started having like whooping contractions, like boom, right back to back. Like, and I was like, oh, oh, in Target. And I'm like, we got to get the hell out of here because I did not want to be that crazy person who goes into labor in Target. They dial 911 and that was like a whole movie scene. Like that was the whole thing of what I wanted to avoid. So. I remember we were like driving down the highway, like Mrs. driving like a bat out of hell, trying to get to the house, <laughs> just think, you know, because the baby's coming. So that happened, um, and it was like two days had went by, and it was like nothing. I had lost a little bit of my mucus plug, but it was like nothing happened. The contractions would come like every eight or nine minutes and then they would slow down and then they would stop all together and then they would start back up and they would stop all together for those who don't know that's a form of prodromal labor um which can actually get really severe i don't think mine was like super bad but i did experience that so my baby did not come isis for another two weeks okay so this went on for two weeks and I remember like crying like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be having my baby. But my baby never came. And then one day I woke up in the middle of the night and I, the contractions had started up again and I was sitting on the toilet and I was just crying and crying and crying because at this point I'm like exhausted. Like we've been doing this. Like where is the baby? Like everybody kept calling me. I thought you was in labor. What a baby. You said you was going to have a baby. The baby ain't came. And I was just like annoyed, you know. And then Mensa comes into the bathroom and I remember like wiping and I saw like this huge like snotty glob of blood on the tissue. And that was, of course, the mucus plug. So it was like this whole thing. And I'm like, Miss, I don't want you to go to work today. I need somebody to stay with me. Like super dramatic. 
But um, turns out this day I actually was in labor. So I remember like sitting on the side of my bed, like tapping, like tap, 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 like just incessantly tapping. It drove me into insane because this wasn't in our birth drill, you know, but I guess that was my way of coping with what was happening. And then he asked me, did I want to call my midwife? And I'm like, no, don't worry about it. I'm not in labor. It's going to stop soon. But he ended up calling anyway. And I told him that maybe about an hour later, I said, I feel a little different today. And he said, I already called off work. You know, shout out to the dads who are in tune, you know. So he called the midwife against my wishes. She came, she checked me and everything was fine. She said, your blood pressure's a little high, but it could just be from the stress of everything, from the stress of labor. You're doing good. I'm going to go home and get myself together. And then I'm going to come back and check on you and make sure that everything's going smoothly. So I don't know how much time had elapsed. Like I can't really like tell you like what time it was, but she came back again. And when she checked my blood pressure, she's like, your bro- your blood pressure is still kind of high, but that could just be from the stress of labor. You know, I think you're fine. She checked the baby. The baby was fine. So everything was perfect and it was great. And I was having my baby at home. And I remember the dog was sitting next to me and I was on the couch and rolling over and like just tapping the whole, like incessantly tapping the whole time. And I remember Mensa sitting on the porch. Like, that's how I remember it. But he tells me that he wasn't sitting on the porch the entire time. And I don't remember eating anything. But Mensa says that he actually fixed me eggs. And when he fixed them the first time, they weren't good enough. So I made him refix the eggs. And then I ate them the second time. So I ate eggs, which I actually ate all through my pregnancy. It was like my favorite thing. And so, but I don't really remember that. I can't really like say what time that happened. I don't, it was kind of like, it's kind of like all fuzzy. And then I remember going back to my room at some point. I don't remember actually walking to my room, but I remember going back to my room and my midwife coming again. And when she checked me this time, my heart rate had went up a little more and she checked the baby and my baby's heart rate had started to drop. And she was like, oh, well, that's, That's not bad, but that's not really good either. You know, we want the baby to have a steady heartbeat. So this time she didn't leave. She stayed. And I remember her checking me a few more times. Um, And when I mean checking, I mean like with the Doppler, not checking my cervix. Um, She checked with the Doppler to hear the baby's heartbeat. And I had my baby had what was called a D cell. So that's when the heart rate drops and the heart rate struggles to come back up. Um, so we had that a few times and that can end up in an emergency situation. D cells usually means that the baby is in distress. Um, and all of my reading and research and all of this stuff, that's something I never came across. So that was my first time, you know, maybe not my first time hearing it, but my first time hearing it, you know? So she's, she's telling Mensa like, she pulled him outside to tell him that, like, that's not good. We're going to have to transfer to the hospital. And she came back in and she's like, I hate to break you to you. You know, it's bad news. But she said, we can't run the risk of something being wrong. You know, if something is actually wrong and it's preventable, then we should go ahead and transfer. And I remember crying like, no, my baby's supposed to be born at home. And I was very, very upset. And... The way I'm told the story, it took about an hour for me to actually get myself together enough 
to go like to the hospital because there was no bag packed. There was no, you know, none of that because our baby was going to be born at home. So there wasn't any type of preparation, you know, to go to the hospital. It wasn't any of that. And I remember like carrying my ball out of the house, like so sad because this wasn't supposed to happen like this. This wasn't supposed to be a thing. And then we got to the hospital and uh, this is the one thing that I actually remember. Like I was coming in and the lady's like, ma'am, can I help you? And I tell the lady at the, at the counter, like I'm having the baby. And she's like, okay, what's your name? And I'm like, I'm having a baby. And Mrs. Like her name is such and such and such, you know, he's giving her my name, my information. And the lady says, when is your birthday? And Mrs. says, January 29th. And I'm like, that's not my birthday. My birthday is January 28th. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, 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 what she said. So I remember them bringing me the wheelchair and they separated me and Mensa. They took me to triage and Mensa like stayed out in the lobby. And then this, um, these little cute little nurses came back there and they were like, oh, you know, this is great. They said that you're having a baby. And I'm like, right, I'm having a baby. And I remember telling the lady, like, I got to pee, I got to pee. And nobody would help me to the bathroom. I couldn't really walk back there because obviously I'm having a damn baby. So it was this whole thing about, you know, I got to pee. So they finally brought me a bedpan. And I remember like the bedpan being up under me. and But I couldn't pee in it because I was uncomfortable. And like, I didn't have anybody help me. Like it was this whole thing. And then a lady would come in and she said, um, Okay, I'm here to check you to see how far along you were. But I haven't been checked my entire pregnancy and I was not about to start now. So I wasn't going. And I was like, no, I need my husband. He's in the lobby. Like, go get my husband. And she's like, okay. So she walks out. Another nurse comes in. It was like they sent the nurses in droves to like wear me down, you know. Um, we're looking, you know, to check you because we can't send you to the back if we don't know if you're actually in labor. I'm like, what are you saying? Like, I'm obviously in labor. So I, I remember screaming to the, to the nurse, give me my effing husband. He's in the lobby. So they finally let Mensa comes back. He helps me with the bedpan and I actually, you know, use the bedpan or whatever. But I think that there was a time that my water broke, not that I actually had to pee. So um, he take the bedpan and he like giving it to some random person or whatever. And he's like, look, I know you don't want these people to check you, but we have to make sure that the baby is OK. And like he said that he could see on the monitor, you know, where the baby's heart rate was still like very low or dropping or whatever. The D cells are still happening. So he's like, you know, we need to make sure that you guys are OK. So just come on help us out here so reluctantly i let this lady check my cervix um and i remember it being like she was a black nurse she had these long like honey blonde dreads and when she came in i was i was more comfortable with her checking me than a white nurse so she came and i was like okay and then she says great you earned yourself a trip to the back you're seven centimeters dilated right because i'm having a baby okay so by this time i had maybe been at the hospital for about like an hour but i get to the back i didn't go to my last few doctor's appointments so i didn't sign any of the paperwork so she's like trying to get me to sign all these release forms and do you consent to this and do you consent to that? I don't remember what none of that shit said. So I'm just signing my life away. Don't know what it's saying. I'm like, yeah, having contractions, signing papers. And then I remember, I do remember having to sign the, the release form to get into the water. 
And I was so excited to get into the warden because I would get to catch my own baby and it wouldn't be quite like having my baby at home, but it would still be an empowering experience. And then she's like, well, before you get into the water, I have to check you one more time, you know, just to make sure your baby isn't breach or anything like that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, my baby is in breach, but okay. So I let her check me and it felt like the check from hell. You know, I had never had this done before. She stuck her hand up there. She's like, wait. And I'm like, ah, you know, like screaming at the top of my lungs because it felt like she had her hand up my throat. And she says, oh, my God, this baby is breached. And I was like, what? Lady, my baby. I'm like, I'm going to go home. My baby is not breached. You have lost your mind. So she's like, we got to get a sonogram in here right now. So they get the sonogram in there and I look up and there is a butt as clear as day on the screen. I will never forget that little tiny baby butt on the screen. And I feel like my mouth, Mrs. Mouth and my home birth midwife, who then became my doula once we went to the hospital, like everybody's mouth dropped. Like what? Like how was this baby breached? My baby had been hit down the whole time. It was no indication that you know, anything was wrong with her other than the D cells, you know, so she was perfectly fine. And it was like, oh my God. So in like a moment's notice, the suite had like filled with people. And it was all of these people in there. People were shouting commands like, okay, dad, you got to scrub up. You got to get this on, wash your hands, put this on your head. And they gave me this thing to put on my head and put this mask on and do this and do that and do this and do that. Okay. We got to get a prep for a C-section. Wait a minute. Now everybody got to stop. Not getting a C-section, ma'am. Not that's not happening. And then the hospital midwife is like, "Um, you you your baby is breached. You understand that?" I'm like, "Right. And I need you to understand. I am not getting a C-section." And she's like, "Um, so you going to push this baby out?" I'm like, "Look, I am going to push this baby out. That's the only way this baby is coming." So by this time, they, I guess they had already put the IV in my arm. I don't even remember getting it, but she, um, like the doctor that came in because, you know, that's considered an emergency situation when you have a breach. So the doctor had came in and she's like, um, well, you signed the paper saying that you're going to get a C-section. I'm like, ma'am, I don't even remember signing that paperwork, but let me tell you why I'm not going to get a C-section because... My family has a history of malignant hypothermia. I already said I wasn't going to get the C-section and I'm about to go. So I'm not going to, you know, this, I'm not getting cut on today. And malignant hypothermia is where you actually have a reaction to the medicine that they give you that puts you to sleep or that they give you to numb you. Um, and you, um, so my, my, my grandmama can't be put to sleep because she can have an allergic reaction and it could kill you. So due to my family history, I could not have a C-section because I cannot risk something happening to me or my baby. We already in this damn hospital and you for sure not giving me a C-section. So the doctor looks at me and she's like, look, if you gonna have this baby, you gonna have to have this baby. I said, okay, challenge accepted. Let's do this. So they put the gas mask on me and they're wheeling me down the hall. And the whole time I'm saying like, I can't breathe. And I'm taking the gas mask off because I couldn't breathe. I just, I couldn't breathe because they had the thing over my face. Not because I wasn't getting air. So, <laughs> but we get to the operating room. It's like super bright in there. And um, she's like, okay, on the next contraction, if you feel like you got to push, you got to push. 
So I'm like, I don't like I'm not I'm not ready yet. And then I feel like my body was like, actually, you are ready. And then I did feel like the urge to push. And I remember like sitting up and like holding my legs to me, but I didn't want to hold them. Like I wanted to straighten my legs out and kind of go that way. And one lady had my leg and I was like kicking the hell out of her. Like I had my foot all in her chest and she's like, no, 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 move your foot. And this was like, come on, come on, you can do this. Push that baby up, push that baby up. And like everybody's talking and I'm like, okay, everybody got to shut up. Like I can't do it because so many people are talking shut up. So like everybody in there has stopped talking because I had screamed out so bad. And this was like, you got this. You got this. This baby's coming one way. You got this. So I'm like, you need to shut up too. Okay. You're talking too much too. So I tell the lady, she's like trying to coach me through it and give me the directions to get the baby out. So she's like, okay. This is what you do. You're going to have to bear down with all your might, okay? Because your baby's coming butt first. So she said, you got to put your foot on the gas and drive it. So I said, okay. So I remember that ne the next time I felt the push, I remember pushing like everything within me. And Miss was like, oh, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> because it was a foot. So the foot came out and then another foot. And then like she had came out all the way up to her head and I, I mean, I didn't see any of that, but that's what Mensa tells me. And then on the next contraction, I remember pushing and then nothing happened. And then the next time I remember pushing and then nothing happened. And then a doctor, the doctor was like, okay, we're going to have to give her an episiotomy because the baby's head is stuck. And I'm like, nope, nope, not getting cut. You are not cutting me. No, ma'am. She's like, well, you're going to have to push like hell and get this baby out. I said, okay, challenge accepted. So that next time I like bared down and then I heard like this gushing noise like <laughs> and then I look up and this is like pink little gangly body like hanging and then the next thing I know like my baby's gone and then they were um like pressing on my stomach to get the placenta um and then I remember like you know I I feel like I had lost consciousness but not really I was just like caught up in the moment and then I remember asking the midwife, she was standing next to me. And she was like, oh my God, you did so good. She was like, that was awesome. You did a good job. And I remember saying, where's my baby? And she's like, she's okay. She's right over there. She's perfectly healthy. And I was like, can I see my baby? And she said, yeah, just turn your head. And I remember looking over and Mensa was all scrubbed up. You know, he had the scrubs on and all of that. And he had this little thing wrapped up like a little, it was so tiny, y'all. It was like a, it was like smaller than a loaf of bread. It was like this little thing wrapped up and, and he was singing to her. And that was the first time that I had saw my baby, you know, in Mensa's arm, him singing to her. And I said, and the midwife tells, the dad uh tells Mensa, he says, Dad, she wants to see her baby. And he says, Okay. And then one of the nurses screamed out, She looks just like you too. And I was like, Okay. And then <laughs> Mensa held her down because of the way I was laying. He held her down and I looked at her face and I was like, Oh my God, she looked just like me. And I like freaked out and I didn't want to hold her because oh my God, it's a little face and it's my little face. It was like this little tiny little baby face, but it was me. And it was like looking in a mirror and it like scared me. I'm like, oh my God, I can't breathe. And I like have this mild panic attack. And they're like, get the oxygen, get the oxygen. So they put the oxygen mask back on me. I'm like, okay, okay. 
I can see the baby now. Like, okay. So I remember like holding her in my arms and she was like beautiful and perfect. And she was just dramatic. And that's, that's the story of Nezzy. And most, um, breech babies, they are born with their legs above their head because they've been folded up that way, you know, for so long. But Nezzy came out like flat, like, I guess that's the best way to describe it. Like most babies come like normal. So we know that she wasn't breached for long, but so we think that she ended up flipping in labor, which caused the D cells, which is the reason we ended up transferring to the hospital in the first place. Mm-hmm. And um I remember them wheeling us down the hallway and they played the music that they played when you were new mama. And I remember opening the doors and my home birth midwife was still there. And I said, the baby was born as first. My baby was born as first. <laughs> So those are like my first words, you know, that my baby was born as first. And I mean, she was technically. And I don't know, but that's, that's my story. <laughs> oh my gosh. Eh? That is just amazing. And, and tell us, tell us how much she weighed. Messi was a whopping four pounds and 8.5 ounces. So they rounded it up and officially she was four pounds, nine ounces. Yep. So she was a huge baby, you know. She was huge. She's a football player. <laughs> Ooh, man, you are a good st- storyteller. I just everything about that is just amazing. And I mean, hearing it again for like I think the third time, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it it's so good. Like it's it's so inspiring. What do you think um where do you think you got that? I don't even know what the word is. Where do you think you got the the spirit to, you know, resist when the doctors and nurses were like, we're going to cut you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Where do you think you got the ability or the, the power to say no? Or, you know, where did you draw from to just push her out, you know, with all your might? I think it was, it's mostly my natural stubbornness, like, me just being like naturally bullheaded, like, no. And I'm like that person, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it, you know? So I feel like that was a part of it too. But I also had an affirmation and I said my affirmation during my entire pregnancy and during my labor. So I would have a contraction and part of my affirmation said, um, that I hold, I walk with my ancestors and I hold the strength of them in my womb. So I feel like, you know, saying that all during my labor and like that gave me all the power I needed to go in there and be like, F you, gonna have this baby the way I want to have this baby, you know. So even though I didn't birth my baby at home, I still birthed my baby in a very powerful way. I didn't let them dictate how I was going to have my baby, you know, and I used every excuse I could. Nope, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You know, so I think that strength from them gave me the push I needed to keep going, to go forth, you know? Wow. What do you think is the greatest lesson that you learned from your birth experience? Oh, I've actually never been asked that question before, I think. I think the greatest lesson I learned was um, kick the nurse in the chest and tell her to shut up if you need to, you know? Um, 
And I feel like that was, that was everything. Being able to say no and using that. And like in my mommyhood, I do tell people no a whole lot. Actually, my baby's not going to have that. Or no, she's not going to eat that. Actually, she's only doing breast milk right now. No, she's not going to daycare, you know. So having the, you know, the power to say no, I feel like that's something that started with my labor, you know, and just carry over into my, I don't know, my mommyhood, my mom life. And I think that's the greatest takeaway from that. So using that as symbolism, you know, to kick the nurse in the chest, you know, that's kind of how I feel about, you know, birthing my babies now. Like if I need to, I'm going to just have to kick you in the chest. Okay. (laughs) That's a great way to answer that question. Is there anything that I didn't ask or anything else that you would like to share that you haven't already? Um, I think if I had to like say something else, I think it would be to give yourself grace because even though we were a planned home birth and things didn't go to plan, I still give myself grace, you know, with that. And I don't feel any type of way because it didn't happen like it was supposed to, you know, because um I still had a very powerful birth and I still had a provider there with me who was able to notice that something was wrong and that this could very well go left opposed to Mezzy just being a diva, which y'all in her actual life, she's actually like that. So I think that was, that's just the story of Mezzy. Um, so I think having the provider there to say, okay, you know, we do need some help. I think that's very important. And then giving myself grace and how the whole thing actually panned out and went down. And a common question I get all the time is, so when you have your next baby, are you going to have your baby in the hospital? And the answer is no. That baby will definitely be a planned home birth, just like Mezzy was. And um, also, I feel like the next time, though, I won't be as nervous. I'll feel like a more a more veteran, a mom and birth worker, and I'm more confident in myself. So I'll probably stay home. You know, I won't I won't be like in such a rush, like, okay. Yeah, I will probably wait it out a little while longer because essentially Mezzy was fine. You know, nothing was wrong with her. So my next baby will definitely be born at home. And if your next baby is breech, it's not necessarily an emergency because it'll be a second time mom, right? Exactly. Okay. And, um, and I've learned since then, like so much about breech babies that breech is just another variation of normal. We've just made it into an emergency situation when in actuality breech babies are born very frequently i think that like it's a very small number like one at 25 or something like that that babies are breech but we don't know how to deliver breech babies anymore so therefore you automatically get the c-section because we don't know what we're doing luckily the doctor that was on call that night um is trained by a specialist who specializes in breech birth. So, I mean, I feel like looking back at it, I should count all my stars because everything was just in alignment. But um, I think that's why we see breech birth 
as an emergency because we don't know what we're doing when it comes to breech babies. You know, we don't know how to deliver breech babies. And even in my birth, it was still like, okay, let's cut her and give her the episiotomy because the head is stuck. Her head wasn't stuck. She just wanted to take her time. You know, she's a diva. She needs her time. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important that we touch on the fact that the art of delivering breech babies has been lost. And I think your story is just proof that even though we say that first time moms can't do breech babies for whatever reason, you absolutely can. (laughs) Um, And so I just, I just love your birth story so much. And I know that you like, are obsessed with breech births and so yes <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the world now yeah so i i appreciate that enthusiasm because i'm like there's something about watching a brief breech birth that is so i don't even know what the word is powerful um for lack of a more interesting word because we've used that word a lot but it is powerful and i think the first time that i saw it on film was when i was watching um the the farm documentary, Anna Mae Gaskins, mm-hmm. The Farm. And when I saw it, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, nothing really prepares you for seeing yeah, a, butt, a little yeah. baby butt, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, I really thank you for sharing your story. And I'm sure that you have inspired somebody on today. I hope so. Um, <laughs> and I always say, if there are any breach mamas out there who need, I don't know, some support, some guidance, some anything, please don't hesitate to um reach out to me like I don't have all the answers but I have a lot of resources because I've like you said I've become obsessed with breech babies it's like my favorite thing in the world like oh my gosh your baby was born but first mine too so it's like um you know my favorite thing but please reach out to me and maybe I could you know help guide you in a good direction of where you're trying to go we want to thank Shay once again for recounting her birth story which if you're anything like myself inspired you to really harness and hone your power. The greatest takeaway for Shay from her own birth story was to kick the nurse in the chest and tell her to shut up if you need to. My personal takeaway was this notion that breach is just another variation of normal, and we have to save the lost art of delivering breach babies. I also would like to point you to our website where you will see the show notes and more information about the books that Shay and her husband read to prepare for their home birth. I will also drop a link to the Indie Birth podcast, which, of course, was a necessary resource for Shay to get mentally and physically prepared for her home birth. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Homecoming. Follow us on Instagram at Homecoming Podcast. Please visit our website at www.homecomingpodcast.com for more information about our featured guests and experts and how to donate to keep the show going.